The lunch bell goes. There's a rush of sounds. Pages rustling, benches scraping, and rising crescendo of murmurs, giggles, and chatter as a bunch of us grab our lunch boxes and scurry to catch our favorite hangout under the coconut tree. Sitting in a circle, we ritually open our water bottles and wash our hands at the roots of the coconut tree, wondering if the tree will ever grow taller with us watering it every day. We get the aromas of puliyogre, bisivelevar, idli sambar, maggi noodles, and avlaki chitranna. The hungry monsters inside us reach out and gobble food from all the open boxes in the ring. Experiencing the joy of sharing and consuming food away from home began under that coconut tree and continues to influence my perception of how food is capable of nourishing our bodies and souls. Hey, hello, vandanam, namaste, namaskara and welcome to the Adulting Day Talks with Anna and Shree. This is a podcast where two childhood besties take a break from full-time adulting to reconnect and reflect on their respective life stories. Today, Shree and I will be taking a break from adulting to discuss our journeys with food and what role food has played in our lives. So, Shree, how important is food in your life? So... Until a particular time in my life, it was just something that my mom served. It just magically appeared on my table. There was no much of a connection between me and food, except that I used to enjoy eating it. But everything changed once I was out on my own trying to be independent. And I had to cook for myself and by the time I was already pregnant, so, while I was pregnant and on my own, it was really difficult to cook something because I had no experience of being in a kitchen. And that is when I realized uh, the importance of such a life skill. But anyways, there was that push to learn and I think within a span of two or three months, I could get the flow going and yeah, it's been a great journey with food and it's been about uh, making different cuisines and experimenting in the kitchen and it's been wonderful. Yeah, I find that really interesting that cooking food and being more intent about the method of preparation that's gone behind cooking it makes you appreciate food on a whole new level. In our culture, at least, cooking food, it's something that only women are encouraged to learn. Not just is it an unfair burden to place on women, but men who don't learn cooking or anyone who doesn't learn cooking for that matter, it's just sad because they don't know what they're missing out on, right? Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, I grew up with uh, both my parents in the kitchen. So generally, there is this onus on the women of the household to take care of the kitchen. They are basically chained to that part of the house. Yeah, exactly. So you were talking about how it was both your mom and dad cooking at home, but it wasn't something that you thought of as a skill that you had to learn, right? I think for me also, it's kind of similar. Growing up, it was mostly my mom cooking, though I personally think my dad is way better at cooking. But then again, what matters is that I was privileged enough to have food on my table every day. But one of the things that was a very interesting aspect of my eating habits growing up was that because I grew up in a vegetarian Brahmin household, there were a lot of restrictions on what kind of food was made at home. Basically, in my house, they would not include a lot of even vegetarian ingredients like onion, garlic, cauliflowers, tomatoes, carrots. 
So my dad is super orthodox in that sense. And I think I was always craving for food that was not allowed to be consumed at home, which is also not surprising because when you forbid something, that's when you want it the most. And another aspect is that my dad used to fast once in 15 days and used to do so many other food-related rituals like vratas. And there was this phase while I was in middle school when I used to follow my dad with everything he did. So I would abstain from eating food. I would basically only eat whatever he was eating. And I got over that phase. Looking back, I see that a restrictive diet like that is not a balanced diet. But I don't even know why those practices are followed. Now as an adult, I don't practice any of those anymore. I can relate to whatever you're saying. We used to not consume non-veg on say Monday, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. This was again followed during a certain months like October and January which is auspicious for certain reasons. So once I was on my own, the only logical reasoning I could get was consuming too much of anything is not suggested or recommended. Today, I don't particularly follow not eating on those days, but I regulate. I eat non-veg two or three days in a week and it doesn't matter on which day. So I think all these practices came into being to control the diet of people. But again, it's lost its meaning over the generations. Yeah, exactly. You just make that a lifestyle choice instead of following a rule because of religious reasons. I think there's a certain aspect of choosing your lifestyle that needs to be respected. Whether you choose to eat meat or whether you choose to be vegetarian or vegan. Sometimes we tend to lose sight of the fact that we should be tolerant enough to understand other beliefs and not be morally superior about our own beliefs and practices. Yeah. And kudos to all those who actually make a lifestyle change. It is harder for someone to consume meat all through their life to become a vegetarian. I've seen my mom do that. I think she's been exposed to all kinds of non-vegetarian foods since she was little. And 10 years ago, all of a sudden, one day she chooses to turn vegetarian. I can understand how difficult it must be to make the transition. I don't know if I'm ready to do it, but yeah, kudos to everyone who do that. Going vegetarian or going vegan as a choice. And another thing I like about food is just the variety of it. I think growing up, I didn't realize that for a vegetarian like me, there are so many different cuisines and flavors that are unique to cuisines that are not Indian. And what's interesting is before I moved from India, I thought I would really miss all the favorite food. So before I left, I went to my favorite restaurants and ate a lot of food. Like I remember eating grilled sandwich and channa batura and all the chaat items, thinking I'm going to miss all those foods. But once I came here, for one, there is no dearth of Indian food. There are restaurants that serve all kinds of Indian food. But I also think my taste in food has changed in that my favorite foods are now different. Moving didn't cause me to miss food as much as discover new foods and flavors. So yeah, that's another aspect that makes food very enriching. The more you explore your your surroundings and other cuisines and cultures, the richer your experience with food also becomes. Yeah, and it is interesting with the globalization of food and the availability of different vegetables, fruits and spices across the world and anywhere. Today, we can easily source food from any part of the world to any other place. That helps us to explore different cuisines and yeah, we can make a choice there as well. Yeah, exactly. 
and uh, another interesting thing was uh, pregnancy craving so previously i never went near pasta even when mom made it but uh, during the pregnancy i had this insane craving for pasta and ever since i've been loving it wow nice yeah i just feel that my son loved pasta and he forced me to eat it he hormonally signaled you yeah i guess it was he who forced me to try how good pasta is and there's no looking back so today i enjoy it with my 4 year old every week we do it together and we enjoy the process as well nice <laughs> that's a pretty cute story <laughs> Is there any other food that wasn't part of your childhood but is almost a staple now? I don't think so. Okay, wait. This is interesting. Actually, I was exposed to different foods at home only. So yeah, this pasta and all mom used to make even then. Okay. I think you can tell. So, growing up, pizza was a delicacy, right? An outing to a pizza corner or a pizza hut was something that we do once or twice a year. Every time I would go and eat a pizza, I would feel like, oh my god, it would be so cool if I could eat this every day. Pizza for me represented every food that did not have Indian flavors in it. But now, my partner loves cooking pizzas. He has a general love for cooking, but more so when he's making pizzas. So yeah, pizza has pretty much become a staple part of my diet now. I would not have expected it to be that way as a kid. Apart from that, the good thing about living in a place like Canada is there are restaurants owned by immigrants from different parts of the world. On a regular day, you step out onto a commercial street and you'll see at least four different cuisines that are authentic because they're made from traditional recipes. I've really come to enjoy Mexican food. I love Mediterranean food. So yeah, I consider myself really lucky and privileged that I get to try a lot of different varieties of food. So yeah, you listeners, you might have realized so far that for both Shri and me, our experiences of food have evolved a lot and our, our food experiences have happened in two phases. One before marriage for Shri and before I moved to Canada, and then our adulthood has had its own interesting adventures with food. It was fun talking about our relationship with food. We're going to move forward into our next segment and look forward to a few of our recommendations towards the end of this episode. Mirror, mirror on the wall. In this segment, Shri and I will be writing one letter each. Um, it will be dealing with the topic that we usually discuss in the episode. So how this will work is one of us will write a letter to our past self and the other person will be writing a letter to the future version of ourselves. So yeah, Shri, who are you writing your letter to today? today i am writing a letter to my own past self probably when i was a teenager and living with my parents so here goes the letter hey shri hope you're doing well and i hope you took a moment to appreciate that biryani your mom made you know that she has turned into a vegetarian and yet doesn't bat an eye to cook anything to make you happy she doesn't ask for any of your help and that doesn't mean she doesn't need it anyway I think it's time you move your lazy butt off the damn sofa, go to the kitchen and pick up the damn knife. Maybe help her with the dishes or cleaning up the stove top after you end up gobbling every piece of delicacy she or dad made for you. 
I think it's important you understand that cooking is one of the most vital life skills that you will need in the years to come. It's not going to be for your family, but for yourself to be an independent human. Appreciate everything your mom does for you so your stomach is always filled. Remember that she spent years logging in the kitchen to make your life as comfortable as it can be under her roof. It might be too late to accept it once you're out on your own. Do remember that food isn't something that magically appears on your table. Respect and appreciate where it is due. Wow, nice. So Anna, whom are you writing your letter to? So my letter is to the 40-year-old version of myself. And here it goes. Dear 40-year-old Anna, I hope you're hale and healthy and possess the same love for food as you do now. I wish the world has improved for the better and communities across the globe have access to nutritious and sustainable food. Talking of sustainability, have you gone vegan yet? Present me still thinks it's a long shot. But if you've pulled it off, good on you, girl. Remember how you used to binge eat desserts after getting high? Please tell me your eating habits have become more disciplined now. Oof. Let me get you off the guilt boat for a bit. Have you tried any new cuisines lately? Do you still think that labne and rasmalai are the best foods ever invented? Well, if your opinion has changed, I can't wait to discover what it is that changed your mind. Oh shit. You've not gone vegan, have you? Please remember to keep yourself healthy and well nourished. Also, don't forget your vitamin and calcium supplements. Okay, bye. In this segment, we are going to talk about different recommendations we would like to give based on the theme for the episode. So, since today's episode is based on food, the first recommendation is a Malayalam movie called The Great Indian Kitchen. Uh, many of you would have heard about it. If you haven't, please do check it out. So, this movie, The Great Indian Kitchen, is one of the well-written scripts by Geo Baby where the screenplay is exceptionally great and it keeps you engaged throughout. This movie simply holds a mirror to misogyny and patriarchy that is passing on from one generation to another without a second thought at all, from a father to son and pretty much everyone else. As the movie progresses, the tantalizing shots of food become torture and nightmare as we can see what women go through on a daily basis. Cooking and food on your plate are definitely not just about taste and presentation. There is an enormous amount of work going on in the background that most men or at least the ones in the great Indian kitchen are obvious to or they just choose to ignore. Another thing that was well represented was how violent patriarchy can be without showing any aggression from the part of men. There were no scenes of uh, domestic violence or verbal abuse, yet you could see just how traumatic playing the role of a woman in a patriarchal household can be. So, um, I have two recommendations this week. The first one is an article written in a blog called Goya.in. It's an article titled, Blood Fry and Other Recipes from My Dalit Childhood. We can't deny that our social background in terms of caste and class have a big influence on our food consumption choices. 
there's enormous documentation of recipes and cooking methods for almost all cultures through the ages. But what happens when you belong to a community that has been oppressed for centuries? For instance, the Dalit communities in South Asia have been denied access to nutritional food and clean water, and their traditional cuisine is largely undocumented. So this article I'm referring to is written by Vinay Kumar. It's a wonderful piece about how traditional recipes in many Dalit households have not and may never be documented in mainstream recipe books. Personally, this piece had a profound impact on me in realizing the devastating impact of Brahminical hegemony. So yeah, I would suggest you guys check out this piece. We're going to put the link in the description. My other recommendation is also in a similar vein. There's a YouTube channel called Tasting History with Max Miller. He makes some really amazing videos about the history of popular foods from different parts of the world. He's actually made an episode about the history of payasam. Payasam is one of my favorite desserts. And it was pretty humbling to watch this video because it made me realize that the food we consume is just a version of what our ancestors ate. And in that way, they continue to live with us in all the food that we eat. We're going to link that video as well in our description. Do check it out. With this, we come to the end of the first episode. We are also excited to share that we are live on different listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Overcast, Pocketcast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. You can tune in to one of these platforms and check us out. The Adulting Detox. It would mean a lot to us if you can spare a moment to follow our Instagram page as well as our Facebook page, The Adulting Detox. Stay tuned and lots of love from the both of us.